Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. You can turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 11. You know, we live in an interesting time in the world. Probably the last greatest breakthrough with communication was the Gutenberg Press, where they actually were able to print things, which that's where um, really the printed Bible came out of. And that was such a great form of communication, a great form of, of information around the world. And now we've crossed over the last 10 years social media. Now, no matter what you think about social media, there are blessings and curses with it, just like everything, right? But something that happens that's probably a curse with social media is that everyone believes they're an expert and everyone believes that they have a voice about things that they know nothing about. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> I mean, it's just something you come in contact with. So what you'll usually face, and I've seen this in social media, is that you'll post, the sky is blue and it's beautiful today. And then somebody somewhere says, not in my neighborhood, it's gray. And how dare you call the sky blue when it's gray? And they start, have you ever met a post hijacker before? Right? Like they just go in and hijack you. That happened on one of our social ads. And so we were advertising for our Christmas services. And we always, you know, just reach out that way to reach people where they're at. Um, you know, Facebook is the third largest nation in the world if you're counting numbers, which is a pretty big place where people quote unquote live. And so we're reaching out there. And one person saw our ad. And they said, how dare you? You are the reason for the spread of the coronavirus. You are ruining people's lives and you are killing. I mean, they just went on and on and on. And then it was funny to watch. And Keith and I watched this because we monitored those things. Somebody who doesn't even attend our church said, hey, ma'am, did, did you see that, number one, they're socially distanced and they're adhering to all the guidelines that are being followed? <laughs> And then I jumped on and said, hey, and matter of fact, we have a lot of top-level uh, healthcare professionals, and we heed advice from them as well, and we've not had one single case to happen at Thrive Church since we've been open. The lady did not respond. But I said that to say this. Sometimes when it comes to critics, and not just on social media, but in our lives, we have a way that we can respond. And sometimes we want to run away from the negativity, and sometimes you do need to. But I believe there's a better way in life to learn how to handle the critics of life. And what greater example than Jesus to show us that, right? You can't go wrong with saying Jesus in church. And today I want to show you at one of the critical points of Jesus' life and ministry how he handled the crowds and the critics. Now, backdrop of Mark 11, you know, we're in the series called The Jesus Diaries. And if you've just joined us, we have been walking chronologically through the Gospels leading up to Easter. Next week, we finish this series, three months of the Gospels. I've really enjoyed it. But today, what we're going to look at is what is traditionally called Palm Sunday. Here's the backdrop of that. Now, you have the Passover feast. The Jews had three major feasts every year that they always attended. And the greatest, probably the, you know, the echelon was Passover, which many of our Jewish friends are celebrating even during this season uh, right now as we lead in, into the Easter season. They're celebrating Passover. So realize what you're going to read is, is during the time of the celebration festival of Passover. Just think about a festival, right? I mean, there's booths, there's food trucks, there's celebrations. People are traveling from all over to come celebrate Passover. And in the Jewish people's mind, think about this. Here's what they're celebrating. They are celebrating when God freed the Jews from Egypt under Pharaoh. That through Moses, 
God got them out of slavery. And I bet they are just, you know, every year they celebrate it, but this year there's something different that's happening in Jerusalem. And that something different is a guy named Jesus. And a lot of the Jews are believing this is the next Moses. This guy's going to come in, and he's going to do for us what Moses did for them back in that day. He's going to free us from the evil Roman Empire that we are enslaved to in their system. And so when you read this passage, understand the backdrop of what the Jews were expecting. They weren't viewing Jesus as the spiritual Messiah, the Son of God in that way. They were viewing him as the Son of Man, the Son of David, coming to free them from that. So as you look at Mark 11, let's see the backdrop of it, and you'll see the great celebration and what happens here. And it says in verse 1, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. These guys are getting ready to go steal a donkey. <laughs> now, you know you have trust in Jesus when you're going to somebody's neighborhood. And that's like stealing a car back then, right? It's like, hey, like, you know, find the first car that's unlocked, open it up. Anybody says, what are you doing? Just say, hey, no, no, the Lord needs it. So if you're ever, you know, if you're ever stealing something, no, don't, don't steal. I'm joking. I'm joking. But this is pretty, pretty you know, pretty radical here, but look what, look what happens. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. I bet the guy who came outside to find his, his donkey was upset, though, right? <laughs> Says this, as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing? Untie that colt. They said what Jesus had told them to say. I bet they were nervous. They're like, just say it. And they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. And this is where you see the Jews expecting political victory for their agenda. And look what happens here. It says that, uh, that many, spread, uh, they spread the, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches. That's where you get Palm Sunday that they had, no, uh, they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people were all around him shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. You know exactly what they were expecting. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. And I like this. After looking carefully at everything. This is key to today's message. After looking carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Jesus was in the middle of an uproar of the crowd cheering him on, expecting him to come and free them from Rome. But something with Jesus that he did that Weasley don't do is this. He responded differently to the ones that were cheering him. And many times in life, the voices you have in your life, you're going to have the people that are cheering, and you're going to have the people that are jeering at you. You have the people that are celebrating and the people that are criticizing. And it's incredibly important if you want to be used by God and fulfill God's plan in your life, 
it's incredibly important to understand how Jesus responded. And so write this down in your notes. Here's today's big idea. And if, we get, if you get swept up by the crowd, then you will get swept out by the critics. Let me say it one more time. If you get swept up by the crowd, yeah, and you believe all the press about you, then eventually you'll get swept out by the critics. I mean, I want you to think about this. How many imaginary conversations do you have with people that you were angry at? Right? right? Like, they live rent-free in your mind. Like, you, it, it steals your peace. You're thinking about the things you're going to do and how you're going to tell them off and exactly the comeback you're going to have. And how, like, you know, like you're always, and some of you are letting critical people in your life dominate your thought life to the point you can't be focused on all the positive things that God is doing. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't let the voices of the crowd or the critics affect his mission. He looked carefully at everything. He walked in calmly. He was just being cheered. Like they've never seen anything like this in Jerusalem, guys, ever in their lifetime. He doesn't like, you know, walk in and go, hip, hip, hooray, hip, hip, hooray, give me a J, give me an E, give me an S, give me a U, give, what does it spell? You know, like, it wasn't like WWF or WWE for him. Like, I just pictured Jesus getting off the colt with a look of concern and seriousness in his face because he knows what he has to do. He knows what the mission is. And he didn't let the voices of the crowd or the voices of the critics affect his mission. And today, I want you to grab onto that too. Because you're going to have situations in your life that people are going to tell you you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then you're going to have situations in your life where people will say things about you and to you that are going to hurt deeply. And if you're human like I am, you're going to let that affect you. You're going to let that hurt you. Jesus didn't let that happen to him. He st and thankfully, he stayed on course with the mission that God had given him. See, uh, we often get too concerned about opinions of people, don't we, right? Like, what do people think about us all the time? Matter of fact, our next series that we'll be doing called Chasing Carrots, I'm going to talk about, you know, how we deal with the opinions of others. But my dad said something to me when I was a child. He said, son, he said, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has a couple of them, and some stink, <laughs> But it's important to, I know we laugh, but, but sometimes we let the opinions of people affect us too deeply emotionally, and it paralyzes, it hurts us. We can't do what God's called us to do. And so I want you to understand, if we don't grab onto this message today, what's going to happen? If we let the opinions of others move us, then it will eventually move us off the path of God's plan. If you let the opinions of people always move you, whether it's positive or negative, like if you get swept one way and swept the other, you'll be an emotional roller coaster. And eventually, the goal is the enemy of your soul will use this to move you off God's path of his plan for your life. To move you off the enjoyment of the things that God has given. And Jesus didn't let that happen. He had these people cheering him on. And then look at Mark 15, verse 12. I mean, literally, it was just days later, Pilate asked them, then what should we do with this man you call the king of the Jews? When they realized that Pilate now had control over who they thought would be the king and would destroy Pilate, they flipped the switch on him. 
like, oh, wait a minute, this guy's really not the Messiah we were expecting. Look what happens. They shouted back, crucify him. And look at Pilate. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. That's why you can't let the opinions of others move you. It didn't move Jesus. Jesus walks in, carefully looks at everything, and keeps his eyes focused on the cross. And you and I have to realize in a world surrounded by people with opinions and people with, that believe they're experts and people with all these thoughts about everything, you cannot let that stuff move you. Because if you do, you will eventually let it move you off God's path for his plan for your life. And see, the reason this message matters to me is because I have always dealt horribly with criticism. Maybe you're good with it, right? Like, like maybe you're real, like, like the only person I know that's really awesome with criticism is Pastor Mark Thomas from the Richmond campus. He wants me to criticize him all the time, and you just can't because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> Like, if you know Pastor Mark, he's like the nicest guy ever, and, and he always wants to do his best. He's like, man, just criticize me. I love it. Just tell me what, what, what I'm doing wrong. I'm like, Mark, I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> but I, on the other hand, I'm going to be very honest, with you, I'm not good with criticism. Uh, and I'm going to share with you in several weeks about this in a more in-depth message, but my dad always wanted me to do my best with school. He had very high standards for academics. He grew up in the generation that believed that education, again, was you had to get that degree, which is you should, and you should pursue that and do that. That's what God calls you to. But if I came home with a B, he would be upset that it wasn't an A. Five A's, one B. Son, what happened there? You've been playing at PlayStation or that Super Nintendo a lot. That's how old I am. I'm dating myself. You know, I've seen that they're shooting basketball for hours, but you can't do extra work in the English. Get those A's up, son, because if you don't get if you don't get to college, you'll never be anything. I remember one time, you know, I grew up as a super obese kid. My dad looked at me and said, "Hey," he said, "Fries and a milkshake? You're gonna weigh five thousand pounds, boy. We're not gonna have that in my house." As a young child, that affected me. That I always. You know, that criticism from the very person. Do you understand this? And this is so important. Like, if you're a dad in here, no matter what you've done from this, from in the past, from this day forward, the father is so important to a child. I literally, if, if you want to find someone who is, is struggling with serious issues, it's usually a wound in the past from the father. And my father wounded me. He didn't mean to because he wanted the best for me. He really meant well, right? He wanted me to do my best. But here's what happened. Let's, let's fast forward as an adult, is that now as an adult, when I get, because when I got into ministry, I thought I'll, I'll get the people that were like, kind of like my dad. I'll get the older gentleman to pat me on the back and say, man, great job every Sunday, great message. I just love it. I think you're the greatest thing ever. But I didn't realize that part of ministry, there's nothing wrong with it. It's what it is. It's the seat I sit in. It's criticism. I didn't realize I'd get the anonymous letter. I didn't realize I would get the angry email, the text messages, the voicemail. Over, and here's the thing. That's just part of it. We're all humans, right? But here's the thing with me that I, I did not respond to criticism well. So then it would spiral me out of control. Because once again, when I saw the email, when I saw the text message, I was standing in front of my dad as a 10-year-old kid, and he was mad because of the bee. And I'd let my dad down. And when it came to ministry, I struggled so much 
Today, I'm going to tell you, I'm in a much healthier place, counseling and just, man, studying on emotional health and doing the things I need to do. I'm doing the best ever. Can I tell you, there's some very dark times in ministry. We're on Sunday nights. We call it the holy hangover for pastors. Don't ever send an email on Sunday night or Monday morning. <laughs> they're hungover from adrenaline. They're hungover from people. They're hungover from who didn't show up, who did show up, or problems went wrong. And on Sunday nights, I would search for jobs that were not in ministry. For why was that Thrive? Because the criticism hurts me. But here's what I had to understand. It had nothing to do with critics. It had everything to do with me being swayed by one opinion or the other. Because I wasn't grounded. And I had to realize something in my life. I had to change the way I responded to the crowd and the way I responded to the critics of my life. And I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know how you respond to criticism. But it's incredibly important because our emotional health matters. And here's what happens. We often miss out. You can write this down. We often miss out because we give too much time to our critics. And that's what was happening to me. Like, I would forget about the hundreds of people who are like my ride or dies that thrive, right? Like the people who are for me and with me, I'd forget about them. And you got that one bozo who's got an opinion that probably doesn't matter anyway, Right? And here's what, was, what happens. Here's what I was missing out on. I was missing out on quality of life. I was missing out on enjoying life, on joy, that the Lord wanted to give me joy. So I'm not robbing my family, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated and upset at some bozo, and I'm taking it out on my family, right? And that happens all the time. And maybe, maybe you don't do this stuff. Maybe your job doesn't affect you, and you don't take it out. But that was affecting me. And I had to make a radical shift. I could not miss out on joy anymore. I could not miss out on being focused on the mission and the calling that God had on my life. And my fear for you is I don't know where you're at today, but God has you here for a reason, whether you're here physically or online. Maybe you struggle with that greatly, about the opinions and the criticism of others, and you can't handle it. I don't want you to miss out on joy. Do you know that Jesus wants you to actually enjoy your life? Do you know this church that Jesus wants you to enjoy your marriage? One person said, Amen. The rest of y'all said, Really? <laughs> I thought it was just supposed to be like really hard and like we're just always angry and arguing. I'm joking. My marriage is tough. Uh, but again, it's, it's the way you respond to the criticism of your spouse. I've shared this story before. I'll never forget this. And it was, a, it was like the Lord, you ever had the Lord speak to you about something, but it's not like in a spiritual moment? You know, I get up every morning, I do dishes, I make the breakfast, I make sure that my wife's coffee's made, my son's ready, I get him to school, I pick him up. I do, I mean, I just want to be like the overachiever. That's what I am. And one day my wife and I are arguing, and maybe you've heard this story before. She, she says, well, what do you want, a trophy? I'm like, yeah. I need a trophy that says best dad ever, best husband ever, because you don't appreciate me enough. And I would often let, when my spouse would criticize me, and I'm going to show you why this matters in a second, I often would have let that hurt me the most when it had nothing to do with my spouse. It had everything to do with a 10-year-old kid who had never gotten over his father wound. And I decided, and I hope you're going to decide today, that I'm going to change the way I respond to criticism. Have you ever met someone, or maybe you're that person like me, that just flies off the handle with the smallest criticism? Like, like, it's just it's like you shouldn't do that in life. It shouldn't fly you into that. And I got tired of being that person. So how do you do that? How do you stay on mission uh, 
to do that. The first thing is this, and here's what I just referenced. Listen to the critics who love you. There are critics in your life who love you. I have several people that love me. One is my spouse. And when she criticizes me, it's never to tear me down. It's never to demean me. It's because she loves me so much and she believes I can do better and be better at something. Like most pastors, have, I guess, have these wives. They're like, oh, honey, you're the best preacher ever. You're so wonderful. My wife's like, hey, today, that word doesn't exist. You know you used a word that's not even in the dictionary? <laughs> like, oh, no, and it's on broadcast. <laughs> Hey, you know that illustration you use? That's a really bad illustration. I probably wouldn't use that again. Like, that's our kind. But, but she loves me, right? Like, like, she wants the best. And see, what I would usually do is be like, oh, I just, I'm terrible. I'm not good enough. And I'd fly out of control. I have people in this church that we have on a directional team. There are five people. They're not paid by this church that serve. They've been very successful in their lives. And I let them speak into my life. And we have some great debates. Sometimes we argue, but I always receive the criticism. And I had one person who come and told me one day, he said, I don't think you should post something like that. That was very inappropriate, and it offended me. And I responded to the press. I said, you know what? You're exactly right. That was immature of me to do that. Five years ago, I would have been so angry. But that person loves me. Learn to, to, to say, here, if you listen to the people who love you, the people who don't love you don't matter. When some random bozo on social media pops up and says something bad about you, you're like, yeah, who cares? And it makes you better when you have that. Let those who love you criticize you. And look at the way you respond to criticism from those who love you. The second thing is this. Don't take credit for successes. And let me explain this. Don't take credit for successes. When it comes to... The crowd and the critics, I think so many times we get so swept up by success. And we get really just puffed up. I see this in pastors all the time. Here's what I tell them. I said, don't take credit when your church grows because you're going to think you're the reason your church doesn't grow. And it has very little to do with you and a lot to do with God. And people usually get swept up by the crowd, swept up by praises, and they really believe the hype. They believe they may be better than they really are because everybody's telling them how great they are. If you're always hearing how great you are, but there's no one to tell you, yeah, you probably need to watch this, then you're going to be in trouble because you're going to get blindsided when that criticism comes, and it's going to tear you apart. I have a personal coach in my life, and he's a very successful guy. We talk. And he'll say, Kevin, there's three things I really like about you. These are three things you do really well. He, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on these coaching calls with nine other church consultants, and we help churches. And he'll say this personally to me. He doesn't do it in, in public. He'll say, but there's the one thing I, I want you to, I believe you can do differently. You know, when you're in meetings, have you ever noticed that you have a tendency to do this? I'm like, ah, yeah. He's like, can you stop that? Because it's hurting you. And you know what? He loves me. And you know what? I'm getting better at that. But he doesn't tell me how great I am all the time. Oh, man, you're just the most amazing thing in the world. He's able to show me the blind spots in my life. And if you're always thinking you're the greatest thing, and you always think you're just wonderful, and you're taking credit for successes, then you're going to get hit hard when it comes to the critics of your life. And then finally is this. Know where to find your fulfillment. Jesus wasn't fulfilled with the praises of those people. 
He was fulfilled by the work of the cross. And you and I, when we look at our life, find your deepest, most meaningful fulfillment in the finished work of the cross. We get to celebrate next week the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes us right with our Creator. And and I, I fear that we only do that once a year so many times. We don't pause And I had a seminary professor say this. He says, when you preach, Kevin, he says, always walk him by the cross because that's the meaning of everything. The deepest fulfillment for me is not getting to share God's word with you. The deepest fulfillment is not me being a father or husband. The deepest fulfillment for me is every morning I get up, I pause and I look upon the cross and I thank Jesus that this guy who is so far from God has been accepted and made right by our Creator through Jesus. That I have joy, I have peace, and I have righteousness because of the Holy Spirit. Right? Like, when I wake up, I don't find fulfillment in what I do. I find fulfillment in the cross. And Jesus didn't find his... He wasn't swayed by the people cheering him or jeering him. He focused directly on the cross. It says he endured and suffered for the joy that was set before him. And friends, I want you to stay focused on your mission. Stay focused on your assignment. Don't let other people rob you of your emotional health where you can't give the best of what you have to the people closest to you. And my goal is this. I always want to give you my best. And I always want to give my family my best. Because years I gave my best to critics. And I gave my worst to those closest to me. I don't know where you're at today. This is probably one of the hardest things to have to overcome in life. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit of God will help you if you ask God to do that. If you ask God to help you, if you ask God to show you, because that's what I did. I just prayed, help God. I'm an angry man child at things I shouldn't be angry about. Will you please help me? That's all I could pray is help. And you know what God did? God helped God sent the right people, the right books, the right counselors. And now, not only am I focused on mission, but I'm enjoying the things God has given me more than ever before. And I want God to do that with you. Let's pray this morning. Father, it's a hard ask, but we're asking today, help us, Father, to be like Jesus, to navigate the crowd, to navigate the critics of life, Lord. We pray right now, Jesus, that you would give us the strength, give us the power, Lord, to overcome the critics of our lives, to find our fulfillment only in the cross. I pray for each one of these people in here today, those watching online as they leave, and they just pray, help me, God. I pray they would see you step in in a major way. And Father, I pray there will be testimonies of people saying, I have joy, I have peace, I am fulfilled, and I'm enjoying life more than ever because I decided to let God help me with this. I pray that, Father. May we see that in our midst. So help us, Lord, and we know you'll answer. And as we're praying today, church, Maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you walked away from a bad version of Christianity. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. But right where you're at today, 
you know this is the day that you're supposed to give, give your life to Jesus, to come, even come back to faith in Christ, to renew your faith, to walk with him right where you're at. Today is your date. I want you, you know that's you. You can feel your heart beating fast. God's been speaking to your heart right where you're at. Pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. And it's this. It's God, save me today. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that good works won't get me into heaven. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that he died and he literally rose again on the third day. Today, I repent. I turn away from this old life and I receive your new life. Forgive me of all my sins, Lord. And God, help me to stay focused on your plan for my life. In Jesus' good name, we pray.